Hey folks, um, we're back again. This time we have Darren Rungasami with us, who is a freelance journalist, photographer, is on uh, the Instagrams as uh, Really Loud Cars, I believe, but um, uh, definitely worth a follow. Lots of very informative posts, not just pretty pictures, but there are pretty pictures to go with them. Um, he's a longtime friend of uh, Retro Rides, and uh, welcome, Darren. Hello, David. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We are getting by. You sound really calm because every single time I speak to you, you're normally very stressed. Yes, I'm usually doing about 18 different things. Exactly. And um, at least for these podcasts, there's only one thing to concentrate on at any one time because I can't do anything else. No, absolutely. We can both 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 focus on our on our respective um, listening devices. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Right. I'm going to start you off with our traditional first question mm -hmm. of why cars? Why do you like cars? Right. Well, I'm going to start off with a traditional answer. Basically, it seems to be the default is is um, blaming parents, but um, it, it is entirely my dad's fault. Um, I, I guess he used it as a as a as a default babysitting sort of um measure because um to keep me quiet he literally put me in the back of the morris 1100 and drive me around and obviously i seem to be amused by the, the sort of blurry lights and cars and stuff like that so um you know he he he's he's obviously instrumental in that and i guess when i was that sort of age this is like the early mid 70s a uh, long time ago he was buying cars fairly regularly because every single british car he bought kept on breaking down so we were going to a lot of dealerships and of course you know this 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 indelibly printed in my mind you know sort of looking at car lots car showrooms stealing brochures um you know and, and then you know obviously with things like toy cars and stuff like that so it, it all it all kind of gels together you know i'm sure if my dad had been into football i'm sure i would have followed football a little closer i mean so it's conditioning, I guess, you know, it's, um, you know, and it stuck with me. Um, I particularly remember when I was sort of a little older and to stop us, me and my sister fighting at the back of the Datsun on, on these long journeys to shopping and stuff like that. They would, my parents would give me a notepad and a pen. And, you know, I started off just drawing because I just loved drawing at the time. I still do. Um, but, I also started taking notes of registration plates of cars and then putting the model next to it. And that, that, that kind of, it sounds a bit geeky, but that helped me build quite an sort of encyclopedic knowledge of, um, you know, car years, registration plates, so identifying which areas they came from and, you know, sort of making, sort of forming patterns. So it's, it's, it's an obsession. It really is. It still is, um, you know, pocket money on toy cars and magazines, then, Tamiya, yeah, radio control. It's, it's, you know, I've tried to escape, but I, I <laughs> it's, it's, it's impossible. And I've, I've, you know, even my parents now accept it. <laughs> it always pulls you back in. Yeah, uh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, what, yeah. what was your, what was your first car then? Um, out of that lot. Right. So my first car. Well, obviously having all this, this, you know, these all these magazines and information. Obviously, this this process took a long time because. I was sort of researching um, the types of cars I should buy, the insurance, fuel costs, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, I kind of narrowed it down to a, a Mark I Golf. And, you know, a family friend had a Jetta and they were prepared to give the, give the car to me. And I thought, hey, OK, it's fine, low mileage. And the lady up the road had a lovely Mark I Escort, 1300E in green, low mileage. I thought, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. And then... I spoke to a non-car friend and he said, well, why don't you get a Volkswagen Beetle? And I thought about it. I thought, actually, that's not a bad idea because I was quite a shy, insular. I wouldn't say insular, but I was shy and I wasn't particularly sociable. And I spent an awful lot of time in my, my bedroom, again, drawing, reading magazines, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, well, this is quite a good receptacle for me to, to go a little bit more social because I knew the, the Volkswagen scene had a good sort of social scene with bug jams and stuff like that. So I, I went out and um, bought a, a, a 1302 SB to a 1971 model. And I mean, it was only about 15, 16 years old. So it was actually fairly in fairly good nick. And they were relatively cheap because they weren't the, the pure kind of, you know, six volt um, anarchic Beatles that people seem to sort of chase after. So I, I had a Volkswagen Beetle and I kind of, 
I don't regret it. Um, I had two of them. <laughs> I had a VW Beetle, but I don't regret well, it. Well, I mean, you know, on paper, it doesn't make sense. The engine's at the wrong end. They handle like, you know, I had to put a sack of spuds on the front of the car just to kind of even out the handling a little bit. And But it, it was safe. It was strong. Um, it was actually quite reliable as well. So as cars go, you know, it's not bad. I know VWs get a lot of flack. And, um, but, you know, it, it, it was it was really important for me to get into a car and drive. That was probably my main mm. aim in life at the time. Um, and, you know, once I got that car and I had that freedom, it, it, it was, you know, it opened the world to me, you know, it really did. Um, you know, the fact that I could drive up to go and see bands, um, you know, I drove all the way to Sheffield. Two days after passing my test, I drove all the way up to Sheffield to go and see Nirvana and drove back again with some friends. And to me, that that's what motoring was, basically, for, for me to do things to see things and just it's just that sense of just that that freedom um yeah. you know it's it's yeah it's, it just made sense yeah I, yeah de- definitely get that i think that that was um i was the reason i ended up learning to drive i drove i actually learned, ended up learning to drive quite late um i think i was 19 nearly 20 yeah and um all my friends were driving at the time and i was sat on a bus and i weirdly this is sounds gonna sound awful um i was listening to the lightning seeds it was the it was the nineties, and one of the lines in one of their songs is "Put your foot down and drive." Yeah, and I was just like, "That's it!" Like that's what I I would say. I'm sat on this bus in this traffic jam, and it was like horrible. And I was just thinking, if I had a car, I could have taken a different route, and I'd have had the freedom to not be here. And then that line just stuck in my head, and I, I, I yeah, that definitely resonates that idea of freedom to be able to just sort of go and do what you want to do. Exactly. It just clicks, you know, relying yeah. on public transport, cycling everywhere, which is which is absolutely fine. And then in this day and age is actually, um, you know, it's quite fashionable, isn't it, to, to cycle? Yeah. I, I, apparently, I, so I hear. Um, so I understand it. Yes. But, you know, it's it's yeah, it's, it's just it's just that 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 emotion of getting in a car, the smell, the, the you know, it's everything about it. You know, it's it's it doesn't matter what car it is either. You know, that's the thing. It's, it's still that, um, you know, obviously, t- Join a car is there's a great responsibility, but um, yeah, it's, it's I don't know what I'd do without them. I really I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd struggle. I, I really would. So did did you end up going to VW event and using it in that way as well? Did, did that social side of it take off for you, or, or was it did just this freedom allow you to become more social in general? Did you end up at Bug Jam in your Beetle? Yeah, very much so. So um, you know, I'd take a few friends there and obviously we'd I'd follow convoys um you know and quite a few of these people they had their you know really really nice show cars as well so whereas mine was just a standard and you know, i didn't really do much in terms of lowering i think i, I, I lowered it slightly but i was it was far too practical to think well you know what i don't want to be hitting speed bumps but yeah we, we, it was a social aspect and again it, it brought me out my shell you know so i started meeting people talking to people um you know and it, it it it's it was a great opener really as well it gave me a good understanding um about how people interact with their cars it's, i think it's quite important because i often think that the cars are interesting but anyone can max out a credit card and buy something but how you interact with it how, what your history is with it how what it means to you is actually more interesting with the car and that at that point you know 17 18 19 i began to begun to understand that um you know i, I feel you know, you can start a conversation with almost anyone if you've got sort of basic knowledge of either cars, football, or the weather. And you know, I, I can I could just about manage a conversation about football. You know, I used to follow sort of Liverpool when I was younger because everyone did because they were they were good and they have become again. But um, cars was my default thing. You know, I could start a conversation with someone. That's a great social thing. You know, even someone that's got, with a passing interest in cars. You can just say, well, I really like the colour of that. That looks lovely. And then I'll just go on and say, yeah, yeah, it suits my nail varnish or something silly like that, you know. But you, you build this connection. And um, you know, I love that social aspect of it. I think it's, it's quite important. And as time goes on, I, I realise that's probably, like I said before, more important than the actual car itself. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, so I first met you in 2004. Yes, but what t- at what point is this? Like, so your first car, what was that? It's going to be mid to late eighties. 
no, or early nineties. Early nineties, nineteen, yeah, nineteen ninety one. So yes, oh. yeah. that's a, that's a nice period to be going to bug jamming. Um, Very much so. Yes. Yeah. So there, there's effectively a, a sort of thirteen or so year period there, where I'm guessing you're still going to shows. You're changing what car you've got and, and all of that kind of thing. So so what was you, you, what was your progression? Because when I met you, you had uh, Datsun Cherry and that's correct. Yeah. As, um, and uh, Simon, who um, podcast listeners will know, I do the other podcast with occasionally. Um, his uh, he'd met you at Bromley Pageant. Um, and you had um, a Datsun Cherry. That's um, and see a so, here, can't you? Yes. And um, so you've gone from your, your, your Beetle to your Datsun, but you were like a bit of a stalwart of that really early, as far as we were concerned, Japanese scene in the UK. So how did you end up kind of crossing over there? Were there cars in between or did you just eventually go, I'm, I'm fed up with this VW stuff. I'm going to get me something actually reliable and good. So, um, it, well, I guess because of, of like, I've liked all sorts of cars. So I, I thought, you know, I don't want to be limited to um, rear engine Nazi vehicles, basically. So I thought, well, let, let's let's have a look at what else. And again, I sort of, again, mixing with people at Bug Jam and mixing with other types of people, they said, oh, you know, you should buy this. We should try this. And remember, the early 90s was a fertile period for, for cheap cars. You know, you could buy a, a good three four hundred pound car with tax and not ready to roll you know and i i, I just felt that okay well the beetle thing's great let's 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 move on so i, I replaced the beetle um with a saab 900 um saloon a completely different car in a big luxurious front wheel drive um amazing piece of engineering and then i know i kept that for a little bit sold it on um and then i bought a citroen 2cv which was again almost the opposite experience and then i moved on to all sorts of things so i was buying cars every six months for next to nothing um and the datsun thing came along by mistake really because my my parents had datsuns throughout the 70s and 80s and when you're a teenager um you know on the occasion that i'd miss the bus i'd oversleep or something you know mum would sort of load me up in the datsun sunny and take me to school and i'd ask her specifically to drop me off just at the bottom of the road because i didn't want people to see me in in this in this datsun sunny it was quite an old, old version as well all my friends had the astra gtes the parents had gtes and golf gtis and stuff like that and i, I just thought i, I you know I, i'm you know I'm, I, I don't know if i could i could cope with the ribbing of turning up in a in a eight-year-old datsun so um i discounted datsuns completely and then all of a sudden something it was about 95 96 and i noticed the datsun sunny at the bottom of the road and i looked at it and i thought you know what it's not a bad looking machine it's quite funky and you know they didn't really want much for it and i thought well i'll, I'll buy it you know let's, let's let's see what happens um and it just it just took every i mean i was quite abusive with my cars as well and it took everything it really did you know i tried to kill that car and it just wouldn't have it and, um, you know, it kind of, I, I grew, a, a, there's obviously the, the, the reliability, which is what they're famous for. And it wasn't a particularly nice car to drive and it wasn't very comfortable, but I just couldn't kill the thing. And I just thought, you know, this is, it's a plucky little car. Um, and then that just kind of opened up the Pandora's box of Datsuns, really, because they were cheap and cheerful at the time. Um, you know, nobody really wanted them. And there were people within the Datsun club, which I didn't really, I wasn't that involved with, but I knew I can get sort of fairly cheap cars off them. Um, but as time went on, I continued the kind of car events because I, um, I, I attended one of the early Japanese, they call it the Japanese auto extravaganza at Billing Aquadrome. And there was probably one of the first places to, to have a collective of old Japanese cars. So, you know, guys would turn up in Mazdas and Toyotas and really, really nice cars, you know, these RX4s and Datsun Cedrics toyota crowns you know and i i just thought you know what i want to be part of this because these cars are absolutely superb looking they're absolutely beautiful beautifully engineered well screwed together they look amazing you know i don't understand why other classic car people don't buy them um you know and there was a bit of resistance to japanese cars as well and there'd always been the resistance to japanese cars it's obviously kind of um you know historical connotations there obviously but i, I think because they're seen as inferior because they never had driving dynamics built in they're always 
created to to to, to travel from A to B and not much else, and that's what people wanted. But um, you know the 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 visual aspect of them, with the heavy chrome and the sort of ornate details, the wild colours, mad hubcaps. It, it's all you know. It just clicked with me. I just thought it's it's you know it's obviously reminiscent of it's a reminder of my childhood, which I think. Um, a lot of people associate that with with classic car motorings. You know, most people you speak to and they say, "Oh yeah, my dad had one of those or whatever." So that that there's always that connection, and it's a great conversation piece as well. You know, nearly every single time I heard the, took the Datsuns out, still do people stop me and just say, "Yeah, I, you know, I lost my virginity in one of those or or, or, <laughs> or, or whatever." You know, and they'll tell you some sort of um, some some ramble about you know how it again it's something that i connect with because i'm exactly the same i'm an enthusiast a fan a fanatic um you know so that that enthusiasm is is something that's to be encouraged you know it's it's it's, it makes the world a nicer place i think um yeah but i i I also fell into the french car thing as well because again i was i was anxious to try every single type of car um with the exception of british cars and the only reason I, I didn't really favour British cars is because there's so many of them around. And if I really fancied a, something like a really nice Dolomite Sprint or something like that, I could find one fairly easily. And part of the fun of getting a car is the hunt, I think, and finding the right one. And with Datsun, this has become increasingly difficult, but you don't really have much of a choice. So with British cars, it's it's fine. But with the Peugeot stuff and the, and the French car stuff... Um, I I bought a car. When is this? Roughly around the time I joined the forum as a daily driver. So 2000, 2001, 2002. It's a 106 rally, and um, I worked in a town which was about twenty miles away. But to get to it, it was all cross country and twisty lanes. And I thought, right, so I can use a Datsun, which is fine. Um, or can get myself a you know a thousand pound beater, but let's let's do something, just do the right thing. And again, you know, I thought oh, I want something small and nippy, and the one hundred and six rally ticked all the boxes. Um, and it's one of those. Well, basically, I've still got it. So I bought that car just nearly twenty years ago, and I've still got that very car. Um, it's in my my little my little Pandora's garage, and um, <laughs> it it. It's, it, it encompasses everything I want in a car, basically, and and again, it's it's a different it's a different beast to everything I've owned before. It's a different thing to the Datsuns, a different thing to the Saab, the Citroëns, um, you know, the Fords, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This the you know even even the BMW which I had a few BMWs, um, you know, they're superb cars. The E30 and the in the 2002 are both brilliant, brilliant cars. But this Peugeot just has—I don't know—it captures something. It captures that 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 joy of motoring in, in a small package. Um, and and I've never been a speed freak either, so I, I don't need to travel fast. But I'd love to get from A to B in it. Um, you know, it's it's it's, it's it, again, it's, it's just <laughs> kind of lost. I'm almost emotional thinking about that. Little car. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it, it's not it's not so much fast but entertaining i guess yeah yeah it's yeah. that kind of driving yeah very much so yeah very much so i mean it's you know it's, it's like um i mean i don't know whether they, they they don't really make small cars or big engines anymore um in in that in that vein you know i mean the, obviously it's, it's a light car as well so i don't fancy my chances in an accident because it literally it weighs about 800 kilograms which is as much as you know probably an engine these days or whatever it's but um there's a it, it has that kind of connection with the road you know the only thing connecting you is obviously those tires those grippy tires and the steering and but you you become part of the car um and i, I feel that that that's that's you know that's another aspect of motoring that i've, I've become to kind of appreciate because I, I used to be more obsessed with the aesthetics and the visuals and the design um you know i, I went to university to 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 train as a car designer um but there's there's the as the emotional aspect again this links with the with the, with the personality of a car that it's you know it's it's, it's it's the whole universe um yeah so 
I'm, uh, I'm just going to go out and buy as many um, uh, 105, 106 rallies uh, as I uh, as I can before this podcast goes out because I think you've just sold a load of them yeah. to uh, whoever's listening. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They, they, I mean, the other, I mean, there's plenty of alternatives to the to the to the, um, to the 106, and I think the best one to, to find is virtually identical Citroen Saxo VTR uh, or VTS if you fancy a little bit more power. Um, they're fragile cars and they have been thrashed, but I fully recommend you look for a 106 or a, or, or a Saxo VTR as a as a you know as a little sort of alternative just to go down to the shops in or you know just to have a little blast because it's you know it's, it's got fun the rigidity and power you know they've got the rigidity of a, of a crisp packet but um, they're <laughs> punchy and you know there's all the smile on your face when you drive them so uh, yeah. I mean, on that rally front, um, I, I know that uh, uh, Chris Harris has the 205 rally, the proper French one, not the weird right. one that we got that didn't have any power in it. Yeah. Um, and um, he is on record as preferring that to many of the supercars he has owned and driven because it's just a, a really great little car. Um, and the 106 is kind of the budget version of that because those 205 rallies are now insane volumes of money so that's uh, right that's right yeah although obviously after this podcast uh the, the 106 <laughs> is going to be shooting up in price i mean the the series one is already started to attract fairly handsome money um and the series two the later version which is a little is a little rounded and the character's a little sort of tamer it's got a few more provisions in there for comforts yeah, you know, you can, you might still find one. I think, um, you know, it's worth it's worth hanging on to the right car. There's enough of them out there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you, um, one of the things that always I find entertaining about talking to you and looking at your Instagram stuff is you, you're a documenter of cars. Very much. So, yeah. It sounds like it started at a very young age. Yes. Um, so, like, what is it that? Uh, attract you is that just a, an aspect of your personality this sort of documenting and this need to know stuff like it's great that you communicate it out as well i know there's people out there that hoard their information and you, you're very free with it which I, I i appreciate but what what is it about that that um that attracts you to 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 doing that stuff um yeah i mean i've always been fairly um I've always liked to have a library of information. I've always liked to, I'm happiest in my study, surrounded with all my magazines and books and photos, toy cars, brochures, you know, there's a, I've got everything I need around me and everything is, it's, it's there on hand. And I like the idea of sitting down and just kind of researching uh, you know, an aspect of a, of a car and learning something from myself. But one of the great things about social media is that, you know, I can, I can post something up and, you know, there's, there's, it's going to, it's going to attract obviously a lot, a lot of attention from people who have owned those cars and they'll tell me something else about it that I didn't know, or they'll tell me their personal experience about that. And I think that is really, really important in this day and age. There's, there was a time I, I, I never, uh, you know, journalism never crossed my mind. And it, to tell the truth, form of printed journalism, I did a, a little bit of writing for Retro Japanese um, a couple of years ago. And that's, uh, that's Hubnut's um, babies in Seabrook. But um, I find the idea of using social media to communicate in that respect a lot better, a lot easier, a lot cheaper. Um, obviously, the money is, is you know, I, I don't make money from it. But I what I do do is I, I do come across as putting something down and trying to make it entertaining to read so and it's quite difficult it's a bit like sending out a tweet you've got i mean i don't i don't really do twitter but I, I, you know you've got a certain amount of characters that you can put in a tweet and it's the same with instagram i think right how can i put my message across what i'm trying to put across in a fairly succinct way that people not people are not going to get bored with because you know you can read it on a website go on and on and on and read you know, you can just copy and paste a Wikipedia entry in there with some photographs and they think, well, where, where's the value in there? I know this information. So I try and look from a different angle. I try and sort of look into, um, you know, something particular or specific about the car. And it's still developing and I'm still making mistakes. My spelling is, you know, it's quite difficult to type things on the phone, especially, you know, 
when you sort of I try and set myself certain parameters and time limits as well so I don't want to be spending too long on it but it's definitely the way forward I like to see you know it's, it, the, the, the magazine is to all extents of purposes I wouldn't say it's dead but it's, it's not going to be there's there's a bit of a revival every so often but I think um, you know more and more people are getting the information online because they've got shorter attention spans and I think it's like a I've, I've just released a series of um, two-minute reads on my website and basically they are essentially the same as Instagram posts and I'm thinking well that's the way to do it you know basically if someone just wants to read a quick information on the toilet about the Datsun 100A coupe and then I can do that but I, I also love doing those really in-depth kind of gritty articles um and again i'm not particularly technically minded but it's it's new information that i'm learning constantly um with with um with with things like that um it, it also allows me to sort of bring the very very best of my photography skills as well because i'm a passionate photographer and i have been for a very very long time and the opportunity to go and you know, literally swarm over a car and I could spend hours on one car if I needed to, um, you know, and I was kind of, I was listening to, to Amy Shaw um, on, on, on your podcast, you know, um, when was it about a week ago or whatever. And, you know, her, her, her art and it is an art is, you know, she's very, very focused and very, very particular. And she's got this amazing eye to, to kind of capture it. And I kind of really like that. I think it's a really, really healthy attitude to have, you know, she treats it as a, as a, as a paying job which it is and they pay her hands you know deservedly handsomely i don't get really paid for these sort of things but i get equally amount of of satisfaction of of documenting you know a car via visuals and and writing about it and it's it's a it's a product and it's got my name on it and i'm i'm i'm, I'm proud of it you know there's there's um and again it's it's just something that i do because i enjoy doing it and if something comes out of it brilliant if nothing not a problem I, I, can, that, I can live with that that's very um much almost like um, an early web kind of attitude to things that there was a world from about what 95 to probably about 2001 2002 when um there was a dot net uh, dot com bubble um but during that sort of kind of six seven year period people were just putting information out there information was free because people wanted their name out there and to share this information with people that sort of gregarious approach of i find this interesting i'm looking for other people that find this interesting or maybe you'll find this interesting and um i think that's a, a thing that's kind of disappeared quite a lot from the web i know even in what i do that there's always a, a thought of what's the what's the financial angle on this can I put ads on this? Can I do do whatever? Is is there a job at the end of this or whatever? Whereas your is is much more pure approach of I find it satisfying to craft this thing and share it out there, um, which I, I I think uh, the world could do with more of. To be honest, it's, uh... you're, you're absolutely right, absolutely hundred percent correct on that because I think with with the, I mean the web two has kind of become uh, it's a more of a kind of as a, as a promotional tool to promote yourself rather than your craft or your trade it's um it's funny actually because I, I when i when i left art college i fell into web design and this was like the mid 90s i was i was you know i got into it quite early and you were absolutely bang on when we were designing websites for clients and stuff like that i was dabbling around and i created probably one of the first datsun sites on the web on, on fortune cities or geo cities or something like that and um you know there there was a there was a there was a kind of a, a like a cottage industry of websites that you can just kind of produce and put your name to it and that, that's it's definitely that kind of ethic is is, is you you know you're absolutely right that's that's basically where you know where where it's come from yeah yeah a friend of mine had a geocity site which was just a list of all the stupid band names he'd thought of Fantastic. and you don't see but you don't see that sort of thing anymore. That's not what no, the web is anymore. Like maybe that'd be a Twitter account or something. But yeah, yeah. it's a it's a very strange uh, strange change we've we've seen. Um, so actually, to go back a little bit, um, your um, 
Instagram and your uh, website, which is reallyloud.co.uk, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have photographs of scrapyards like a crazy person might. Oh, so, uh, yes. what, what, where, why did you start photographing scrapyards, and when did you start? So, again, this this goes back to when I was um, seventeen. So, um, I I was at art college at the time. I just I did a sort of foundation course, and obviously. I was reprimanded for spending too much time drawing cars, basically. And they said, well, you know, you need to learn about human forms and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, yeah, fair enough. And this, one of my two, two tutors, um, Martin White, he said, well, okay, it's clear that we're not going to have any success in trying to steer you from, from drawing cars, but have a look at other aspects of cars. And I thought, okay, so, okay, I can do that. He says, why don't you go and go to the car park and just have a look at rust and dents and dings? And I thought, yeah, that sounds great. So had a look there, did a few sketches and whatever. And I thought, yeah, I can get into this. So armed with my camera, I decided to go to my local scrapyard. And again, this is early 90s. So these places were incredibly dangerous you know stacked five high with old cars and foot deep mud and cranes and all sorts of things but i i just went in there really initially as a as preparation work for one of my drawings and paintings and you know i took my my canon ae1 and this is back in the days of 35 millimeter films i had 24 exposures so i had to be very careful what i photographed and how i photographed it and um you know took a load of photographs, spent about a couple of hours there on those 24 exposures, got them processed in the, in the lab at, at college. And, you know, and I just thought, you know what, this is ace. I love this. This is absolutely brilliant. I showed him to my tutor and he said, yeah, this is, you know, these are really interesting. And, and I didn't know why they were interesting because I was only interested in capturing the car. But what I did do is learn a little more about tone and contrast and composition and you know and it gave me a lot of confidence in what i did as well so throughout the 90s i basically visited i mean mostly oxfordshire scrapyards because it was kind of kind of local every so often venture outside to, to kind of the reading area or, or, or you know beyond but in most cases i would just simply spend hours with my with my camera taking photographs of scrapyards and scrapped cars kind of I was aware that, you know, I was capturing something utterly unique. No one else would be able to replicate that photograph. And that really appealed. And I was also documenting something that would obviously never appear again. Um, you know, and you, you're, you're kind of capturing a little bit of social history as well, because, you know, with legislation and, and um, sort of um, regulations regarding um uh, you know, sort of waste materials, scrapyards were, were were closing down and changing. And I, I was just kind of, all I was doing was documenting it. And again, the forum and Retro Rides is probably the key one. When I started posting them on there, people it really, really connected with people. And I thought, well, you know, this is really interesting because I never really thought that it would. It was all, you know, but I I felt so, so kind of, again emotional and and proud of all these photographs that I, I took over the years and i'm still uncovering them because I, I was nearly every weekend i was going to scrapyards taking you know probably up to about 50 photographs a weekend so i've got piles and piles and piles of negatives up there upstairs and slide films and stuff like that and every so often i'll, I'll post them on my instagram but i um i i did drawing originally what there were for my artwork and i was doing a lot of drawings from them but um it's, it's an interesting body of work and i'm, I'm touring toying around the with an idea of doing a i don't know whether i should an exhibition of the of the better ones or whatever you know to see if i can if i can push it a little further um but i and i still go to scrapyards today to this day my local scrapyard is um you know he's he's, he's known me the I've been going for 25 years and, you know, all I have to do is just thumbs up to him and he says, yeah, off you go. But it's becoming increasingly difficult to photograph scrapyards because um, they're more kind of recycling and breakers yards now, really. So they, they break the cars up and just store the parts. And, you know, there was a bit of resistance as well in the 80s and in the 90s because, you know, there were fairly dodgy places run by dodgy people. And every so often I get refused to go in there. They just said, no, you can't go in there. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm not going to argue with him because he's got a dog with pointy teeth and, you know, <laughs> maybe slightly dubious right wing sort of um, <laughs> sort of opinions as well. So I was never going to push them to say, oh, please let me do that. But um, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I did. I have absolutely no regrets of, of, of photographing scrapped cars. And I, you know, great. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Absolutely. Yeah, fun. It, it, it's one of those sort of bittersweet things because you kind of yeah. look at them and it, it's this sort of captured moment in time. But also you're looking at it going, oh, but I could do with that car right now. It's <laughs> crazy. You know, I was photographing Ford Sierras and, and Austin Montegos and Maestros and thinking nothing of them because I thought they're just ordinary cars. And even today, I've got this mental block in my head that, you know, anything with a kind of prefix plate, sort of A-Reg 1983 is modern, yeah. <laughs> which is, it's just a, you know, it's insane, really, because, you know, a lot of my followers are basically probably weren't even born at that point. So they see it, an A-Reg Sierra as a, an amazing classic car, whereas, you know, my, my reference points are obviously a little earlier. Um, you know, so I think um, I'm just astonished and, and delighted and really happy that it clicks with people I really am yeah definitely it's um it, it's one of those things time um sadly marches forward for all of us and uh before you know it uh the cars that uh were definitely brand new as far as you're concerned are now 25 years old and uh were basically um on the border of retro if not already retro and you're like hold on how did that happen like, exactly. there's, there's, there's yeah. stuff that for, that came out or was still on sale the year we started the forum that would now probably be considered retro, but you could buy it as a brand new car off the forecourt when we started. Well, it's the same with the rally because, you know, when I had that car, it was only three years old. Yeah. I remember that was your modern daily driver. Exactly. uh, When I saw you at Pembrey that time. Um, When I, when I sheepishly turned up at retro rods last year in the rally, you beckoned me over to the classic car section. I thought, okay. Then I I start thinking about it. I think, well, actually this is, this is nearly 20 years old. Yeah. You know, so uh, yeah, why not? It's sort of it's one of those kind of um, borderline cars because it, it's the rally. If yeah, it was like yeah, a stock one, if it was a stock one hundred and six, then no. If it was a modified one hundred and six, then I'd give it some uh, some thought. Exactly. But the, ra- the rally's that little bit extra special. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, I want to uh, take you on a little journey now um, yes. overseas because okay. another place you document um, occasionally is Mauritius, I believe. That's correct. Yes. Um, and that's got um, a, a lot of interesting cars there. So talk to us about, about Mauritius a, a little bit and what's out there and why. Okay, yeah. So, um, again, um, by default, it's my parents' fault because they, um, they, they were born there. And, and basically, it was a British colony and uh, it sort of gained independence in the late 60s. Um, but it, it's an island that's basically best described as, as, as influenced by by the surroundings there's a lot of um sort of french architecture and english architecture dutch architecture and portuguese as well all three countries had you know laid claim to the island um you know in the past um so this as a as a i suppose it's a trading post in some respects because it's in between kind of it's in in the indian ocean near to madagascar so it's a gateway to africa but it's also a connection to india and australia and china so from the early days it was importing a lot of um cars from all over the world um i I haven't been there for a long time actually it's quite expensive and um you know it's just one of those things but the times i have gone out there it's been an absolute sort of um an amazing journey of of um you know just so many different types of cars from all, all over the world and the mad thing at the time and this is going back a little you know it's a bit different now the, the country's developed quite a lot and it's not so much of the older stuff but when i was photographing cars out there there was no real classic car movement i mean the british cars things like morris miners mgs and jags and stuff like that were kind of kept on the side as as classics but there will be there'll be all sorts of mad things like um, you know Skyline S63s and sort of GC10 Skylines, early Toyota Corollas, um, you know even some of the weird sort of Holdens and Vauxhalls and Fords from from Australia and South Africa hobbling around. And again, because they weren't seen as classic cars, um, they'll be used as daily drivers. So I'd wander around with my cameras and occasionally get into a little bit of trouble um you know and i had to explain to them in my my 
quite poor French because it's uh, it's a French it's, it's, it's a Creole basically you know you can get always speaking French there um, and and explain to them that I really like the car we don't get cars like this in the UK can I take a photograph of it and in most cases they say yeah fair enough slightly bewildered um, but the 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 thing is the the car the, the state of the cars so for example. You know, there was this crown, Toyota crown, like the an MS60 model with the kind of um, classic hockey stick indicators on the bonnet, and you know, it, it was absolutely battered to hell. But I, you know, and I looked around it, and I noticed the back of the car was sort of um, unintentionally lowered; it was sagging. And I said, you know, what have you done to the suspension at the back of the car? And he, the guy said, oh, I ran out of filler, so I used cement to to fill the rust holes. So that, <laughs> At the time, there obviously wasn't a great deal of, um, there wasn't an MOT as such. As long as the car's rolling and running, it wasn't too much. And capturing this sort of stuff, these cars hobbling in between very, very modern machinery as well. I I took a shot of a Lotus Esprit. I think it was the only one on the the island at the time, um, you know, overtaking a Toyota Publica. And I'm thinking, you know, where else in the world would he get this? Um, The island has come leaps and bounds in the last 10 15 years a lot of money a lot of investment um has and the island has been completely transformed to a point where i think i'm correct in this in, in, in stating that it's the most affluent um island in africa um and it's become a a hub for commerce and um internet businesses and and my father he went there fairly recently and he just said he couldn't find much in terms of pickups and you know old sort of Japanese cars, and he said, you know, you may be out in the suburbs, but in in the sticks, but it, it's it's transformed a little bit. So I don't know whether if I was to go there again, I think I might be a bit disappointed unless I do some proper roaming. Um, yeah, not 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 quite the classic car. I was going to say paradise, but it sounds just like um, almost bordering on on hell because there's all, all these somewhat ropely stored um, uh, classic things that we love. Um, just being used on a daily daily basis, uh, but uh, yeah, may, maybe not not nowadays. After uh... no, not so much. I mean, there might be some in the smaller sort of islands, but it's, it's, it, I mean, it's such a small island as well, and the the, the volume of um, prosperity is it's it's increased. So I suspect mm. people can afford to go out and buy ten year old you know Volkswagens and and you know Toyotas and stuff like that, rather mm. than sort of hold on to their old Simcas and and larders which is a, it's a bit of a shame really but that, that's the way the world basically you know that, that's how people yeah. go about kind of you know creating a status isn't it by the first thing they do is buy themselves a flash car and then pay spend the rest of their lives paying for it but um that, that's i think that's another argument really yeah i think, I think there's, there's a, a a whole argument to be had about the modern capitalist system which yeah. is probably outside the purview of the retro right podcast but, yes um, yeah. if anybody wants to have it retro yeah, we can we can get you onto onto Darren if you want to have that debate. Um, so you you've been around the sort of UK car scene in 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 a very broad brush kind of way, which uh, is an interesting place to have been. So it's not like you've just stuck in the VW scene and gone all the way through to today. How how do you feel about like the general UK car scene? Uh, nowadays because I, I see you around the place at all sorts of events yeah, and stuff yeah. still so uh, how, how are you uh, how are you approaching it what are you uh, what do you think where is it at um i think it's in an extremely healthy state um it, it seems to get better and better every year maybe it's because i go to more and more shows every year um it, it's it's strange really because i i kind of like all types of different types of shows. So, you know, back in the 90s, I was, I was attending the kind of cloth cap sort of pipe smokers local events in, you know, in the village hall kind of thing, you know, where there was a fairly traditional sort of array of cars. Um, and then, you know, you kind of, it, it all looks a bit standoffish, you know, stuff like that. You know, But then you get sort of talking again to the owners and you click, you connect and you make a friendship, you know, and it's no different to going to, um, you know some of the sort of more recent modified car stuff. Once you show an interest and get to know the owner and their logic and their reason, so that that that's always been a theme. It's always been there, but the the sheer variety and the open mindedness of of you know a lot of these events. They're catering specifically, obviously, for for certain types of people. Um, 
I, I, I remember going to a, a Max Power show um, in uh, some some arena in Surrey a few years ago. I got a, a, managed to blag a press pass there, and and again, it, it was way out of my comfort zone because I didn't really sort of I couldn't really understand the point of it, you know. However, what I did sort of appreciate from there is the amount of hours and time that people were put into a car, um, you know just it's an extension of their personality and i think that's evident whether you choose to spend ten thousand pounds on, on a body kit and you know shining the engine up to keep the insurance costs down or you spend ten thousand pounds on on a single you know aspect of the car like you know set of wheels or whatever it that 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 enthusiasm that dedication has always been there um last year was a really really good year for car shows so the weather obviously helped a lot but the a lot of these kind of well-known internet kind of um, uh, cliques and groups, you know, people like Petrolicious, um, um, they 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 launched their own events, and I'm lucky because I'm based not very far from Bista Heritage, um, which became and you know Amy was talking about this the other day as well about how it's become a little too big, but. As a venue, it's a really, really good place if you want to help hold your own car show there. I'm not, I'm not promoting them um, by any means, but what w- what they've done is they've created a little niche in the market um, where you can literally just walk around and breathe and take in the atmosphere. It's a little bit more than a car show. Having great cars in a field is one thing. Having a place where you can go to to kind of you know, speak to people and sort of sit down there and soak up the ambiance, have a look a little bit more, you know, look at the history. Um, one of my favourite places is Cressings in, in Essex um, because there's a, there's a huge, I mean, there's it's like a, lots of medieval kind of um, structures and buildings there. So obviously it attracts the family, but it's an amazing setting to have a classic car show. Um, you know, and equally Goodwood has that same sort of effect. The, the, the venue is so important. It really is. Um, you know, there's been a couple of times when I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to go to this event because the venue sucks because, you know, it's just going to be cars in a field and it's everything's you know, there could be nice cars as well. But, um, you know, the people count, but the venue's really, really important. That's a lot of a lot of these car clubs are spending a lot of time making sure that they 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 get the right environment and they're, and they're taking care of the people as well. That's the key thing. Um, yeah. You know, and again, it's worth traveling up and down the country. We're so lucky. Um, it's a Portuguese lad sort of, and I was speaking to him about it. He just said, you guys are so lucky. You've got a car event nearly every weekend. And there's always something different. And there's weekends where you can't, you know, you can choose which event you go to. And I didn't really think about that. I'm thinking, you know what, we are. And even in winter months, you know, you, if you fancy just going to a car show, there's going to be a, a cafe meet somewhere or an impromptu kind of get together somewhere. And it's... You know, we're really lucky in that respect. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know whether. I mean, obviously, it's a lot to do with motoring is in 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 the blood of the UK as, as a as a as a major manufacturing hub. It's always been there and it always will be. And you know, the design facilities, testing, engineering. It's you know, although you could argue they don't really make cars here, but they do. They make more cars than ever. So it's always going to be in the blood, and people are always going to have that connection with it. And the car shows are just another extension of this. This, you know, it's it's a cottage industry, but it's it's making the the you know it's, it's making this country. It's giving it a lot of income, basically. You know. It's, yeah, it's, I, I think there's um, an argument to be made that um, car events of all sorts um, are where you find uh, the next generation of people that move into the industry. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think, I mean, the amount of people that have sort of come up through um, RetroRides as a, as a forum and, and are now working in the industry, um, like when, when they first joined, they were, weren't even a university. And now, you know, they're working at like McLaren or, or Aston yeah. Mine or Jaguar yeah, Land Rover right. or whatever. So that, that's, um, it, it's, we have an enthusiast base and that's what feeds our industry, but having the industry and feeds the enthusiast base. So it's a, a virtuous circle. Absolutely. Yeah. They, 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 I mean, that's the other thing about retro roads as well. When I kind of first wandered into, into the forum is that, you know, a lot of the people that were contributing, um, you know, they've, they've made a real name of themselves, you know, kind of um, 
Johnny obviously being one of them and um again Ian Seabrook as another you know Bryn mm-hmm. there's a lot, a lot of these guys that we just knew as usernames you know with a car that have carved a, a remarkable niche um out of a shared passion and you know again it's you should never underestimate the power of of forums like that so, I mean what you guys did and created and it was a, one of the first um kind of sort of modified retro car forums around and you know the fact that you attracted people from all over the world and you know managing that and kind of moderating it must have been an absolute nightmare but you've 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 created something that a lot of people have copied now and i think you know again it all kind of clicks into this kind of this energy that we all have you know regarding cars and you know i kind of I mean, I've, I've, I'm not particularly good at recognising people as well. So when I'm out <laughs> and about, I'm, I'm, I'm quite distinctive looking, so people know who I am. And I, I might stand, I might be a bit standoffish when I'm trying to sort of take photographs or just absorb the, the the culture. But every so often, people will just say, "Oh, yeah, you're 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 really loud, aren't you?" I said, uh, "Yeah, I am." And I feel kind of, I don't know, humbled a little bit by it. I guess. Um, hmm. I mean, when when you asked me to do this. And I just thought you, you know, you, you, you're having a laugh, aren't you? Because you know, I'm kind of, you know, with you know, you had Larry Chen on here for God's sake, and the Sniff Petrol guys, and I'm thinking, you know, these are Premier League people. I'm kind of Vauxhall Conference, maybe. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm, I'm more Doctor White's Reserve League in, in comparison uh, to what these guys are. I would uh, say that is not the case um, because um, there is. It's interesting to me that that people think that way. People are interesting, as you've said, like car people are interesting and their stories are interesting. And sometimes the people with the most interesting stories or the most interesting viewpoints aren't necessarily the people that are well known and and famous for for car stuff. Like it, I mean, I I love chatting to to Larry and Amy because I got a a portion for photography and oh, obviously yeah. Rich yeah. Porter's a, a funny guy and he's got yeah. the stories. That was but, brilliant. I really but, yeah. but the thing with, with, with Rich Porter, and I'm hoping he'll, he'll come back on. Um, I'm not interested so much in the top gear stories and that's what he's famous for. Sure. Um, and because he's written a book on it, if you want to know that stuff, it's out there. There's other podcasts, all that kind of thing. But Rich Porter is an interesting man because he has made a career out of, but making jokes about cars pretty much well, and that's what in a crap car book and that's what's interesting about him um and i think the same is true for a lot of less famous people the thing that's actually going to be interesting and the story that's interesting and unique to them is going to always be interesting and unique to them regardless of whether or not anyone knows who they are yeah. um and I, and I think that you you tread a nice um balance because you're um instagram is eminently followable it's super interesting um really loud cars if you don't follow it you should um but also you have what i now learn is an even more comprehensive history with these things than uh we knew so it uh it's definitely um you're you're definitely more than worthy to be on here darren and you're a published journalist and photographer and all of that kind of stuff and uh so uh, yeah the Standing orders in the post, David. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> uh, talking of Rich Porter, he has a question for you, um, okay. as, as is the way of these things. I've yeah. managed to ta- chain these questions together. And he has asked you, um, if you could keep one car from the past in production and let it evolve up to the present day, like the 911 or Golf or Fiesta did, which car would you choose? I think that's quite a difficult question but i think off the top of my head i don't want to think about it too much because I, I can be in here for another three hours looking at the merits but i think the um what citron created with the 2cv is something that has not been replicated at all um i've always kind of i mean i i bought one in the mid 90s when they're cheap and cheerful and you know originally it was just just to get me from a to b but i the, the 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 enjoyments and the merits of the cars the, the comfort and the ability to go off road you know um the ability to just about keep you dry <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> you know it, there, there is there is there's something about the character of that car it is literally so basic you know it really is literally just you know 
a, a little sort of hut on wheels with suspension but there's it, it has a it has a winnable character and i think cars today they they don't they don't have that i mean you can style a fiat 500 to look like the original but it's not going to have the same character and same with the Volkswagen Beetle and to a certain extent the Mini I think the Mini is a little bit more successful um I don't understand why Citroen haven't capitalized on this at all because they've never ever managed to kind of replicate what makes the two CVs so likable um I mean they the, the sum of its parts is comfortable which is fine you can make a car comfortable you can make a car characterful by having that sort of very very distinctive engine noise which is fine you can you can put a computer chip in that to do that but there's something in its dna there's something about its the way it makes you feel i think that's really really important and um i mean i'm not a I, 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 in my kind of day job i do get to drive lots of modern cars uh you know from here and there but not enough for me to do proper opinions on them, but I could be in anything. You can blindfold me, and I could be in a Focus or a Kia or a Jaguar, or whatever. But you blind me in a two CV, and I know instantly where I am. And that I think that's a, that's something that car manufacturers really need to 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 try and get back again. Um, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't genuinely think of any modern car that has that. Um, I think the problem is, I suppose we we're kind of dictated by bean counters and safety legislation and stuff like that so it, it, the, the time of the tcv is well and truly gone um but in the 70s in the 60s and 70s if you wanted a fun little car you can go out and buy a mini or a renault 4 or a even a renault 5 um a 2cv there's there, you can, a daf there were, there were a handful of cars that you can buy and you can leave the showroom with a smile on your face not because you know you've got something that's going to kind of impress the neighbours but because you've got something that you're going to enjoy driving and um, you know if you're not a speed freak and like I said you know I'm not I, I think I've only done 100 miles over 100 miles an hour twice in my life um, and they've been in very very inappropriate cars but you know <laughs> if, if I wanted to you know if I wanted to cross the downs in a car um, you know I'd either get a four-wheel drive or a 2CV and to me that sounds really really fun i wouldn't yeah. even contemplate doing that with my modern daily driver um you know it's just it's just so yeah it's a good question um from yeah. from a good man <laughs> yeah that's yeah, interesting well that just raised an interesting thought in my uh or at least i'm assuming it's interesting i'm going to put it out there um it's interesting to me that um citroen went from building this thing that was one of the most simple cars you could possibly have you could you can take it apart almost with your bare hands yeah yeah um to building like the SM and the the DS uh, and the later the, the the CX and all that stuff, which were impossibly complicated cars. It's like that's yeah. kind of they just almost not lost their way because those cars are beautiful and I love them dearly. But um, it's interesting that that that's kind of the angle they went for. The, I mean, a very very creative company back in the day, and unfortunately, creativity does not make you money. And um, you know <laughs> they, they they found themselves in deep deep trouble i mean they were they were going to release the cx with a rotary engine I mean, how, oh yeah i remember that how insane is that i mean you know mass market manufacturer and this is in the you know and you, you've got to give them full credit but unfortunately the, the, this 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 kind of this free thinking and, and innovation has basically killed um you know a lot of car companies and persia had to buy them out and uh, as a result now citrons are you know largely rebodied um, um Peugeots, which is a real shame really um you know but they can still they can i'm sure there's a division you know within psa that can come up and say listen let's let's do a weekend project i mean there's you often hear stories of car designers designing cars over a weekend and then pitching it to to their bosses and say oh we came up with this over the weekend you know can we put it in production it does happen yeah, the, the the Citroen C6 exists, which um, I yeah, think is the closest yeah, you'll get exception. to a modern uh, a modern kind of DS type weird. Actually, no, no. I think the the CX is probably the oddest of the cars that they uh, actually got into production yeah. um, in, in any large volume because that, the interior on that's madness. There's definitely something in the French wine out there because you know the <laughs> French were responsible for the most you know creatively 
innovative and technically marvelous cars you know things like the panars and you know the, even even prior to the 2cv citroen are doing some fairly sort of batshit crazy ideas and i it's, it's a real shame really and I, I can see why you know people tend to prefer older cars because there's 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 a little bit more interesting things going on i mean you know, obviously, a lot of people are swayed by the aesthetics and the and the and the you know the design. But there's a lot of guys that are motivated by you know crazy mechanics and suspension tolerances and stuff like that. And you know, I, I wouldn't know where to start with a modern car, but you know, I'd I'd love to investigate a little bit more about in inboard braking in a in a Citroen GS because I think that's an that's an insane idea, but it works just about. You know, yeah. And I think that's that's what makes a car interesting as well the the aesthetics and the the kind of styling is obviously one thing but the whole sum of its parts is is um you know it's, it's missing it really is missing I, I think there was there's an argument to say that sort of some of that weird innovation still happened in a couple of different places so the the kai cars in japan like particularly in the sort of late 90s early 2000s when they were going to these sort of weird three-cylinder stuff that's pushing out like 160 brake horsepower somehow in these tiny little chassis that that's kind of there's a a a bunch of innovation there and and, uh there's definitely people that are a little obsessed with that and then at the other end you've got the the kind of hypercar market so you've got people like that uh like the konigsegg stuff with the gearbox that doesn't have any gears and the um the new gamera or whatever it's called that is again a three-cylinder engine but some electric motors as well and it's like 700 brake horsepower in a four-seater car it's just bonkers it's like a, a mad thing and that's happening because they're kind of unlimited on money yeah, uh, to a, yeah. to a certain degree whereas as you said it's being counted for the majority of manufacturers they're not making cars that are that adventurous because somebody's already decided how many they're going to sell. Exactly. It's funny you said the, the electric thing, actually, because I think the electric thing's fascinating. I've been really interested by it. Um, I went to the um, Fully Charged show last year, and there were there was a, one of the hangers, one, one of the, um, not hangers, the uh, little uh, workshops were full of converted classic cars with electric motors in there and i think that's um again i mean this has been mentioned obviously um uh by by uh, johnny johnny smith but that is an untapped potential there i think i mean ripping I mean, there was a ferrari 308 um gps there and they literally ripped the heart out of the car and replaced it with what looked like a, a washing machine motor and you know you, you kind of walk around it and feel I don't know. You feel odd, you know. It's like, but you think, you know, that, that someone's had the balls to do this, and what they've created is something so utterly unique. As a showcase, you think, well, there's got to be something in it. So there's that. I think. Um, yeah, I, I think the the my angle on stuff like that, uh, uh, three hundred eight, and some other things like that. It's if a Ferrari engine blows up, it's expensive to rebuild it which so, is yeah. why in the states they often ended up with chevy motors and stuff in them yeah, so yeah. Um, probably better anyway yeah <laughs> probably arguably a better yeah. it probably doesn't doesn't make as nice a noise but no uh, no but they're going to be more um, reliable. and um and, I, and I, so i don't think it's a new thing to do that they're just using the engine they're almost just using the engine that's available but they're kind of making a point in that and also it's going to be quicker than a 308 gts because oh, sure. my volvo c30 is quicker than a 308 gts yeah exactly <laughs> so, yeah yeah, it's ludicrous. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's something there. I, I would. I'm hoping not all classic cars end up with electric motors in because that will make me sad. But well, I don't think it's wrong to have a few of them because it, it might save a few more. It does depend on the on the fuel situation because um, you know there's a, there's a realistic possibility that that fossil fuels will run out in our within our lifetime. And you know what what do you do then? What happens? you know do cars become museum pieces or do they become the preserve the extremely wealthy so you know finding an alternative even if it means ripping its heart out which is you know an engine is an intrinsic part of a car so you know you are replacing it with something that is fundamentally completely different it's, it's a bit like having a stuffed animal in in, in that respect but I, I i can't see how else the combustion engine is going to survive in in, in without without any fossil fuels unless they come you know there's a possibility they can come up with an alternative 
um, you know, some sort of liquid-based sort of, I don't know, made out of orange juice, isn't it? The, I think they ran carbon orange juice or whatever, you know, a few years ago. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's a fascinating period in history at the moment. And we're, we're kind of going through a transitional period in human, in, in, in modern history, basically. So yeah. I think, you know, the, the revolution, wherever it comes in, is going to be gradual but I think it's going to be beneficial for everyone concerned. Oh, fair play. I think, I think, I think. I think, that's, I think that is a, a more than reasonable statement. And in fact, on, on that hopeful note, seeing as we are uh, now over an hour in, um, I'm going to uh, draw us to a close. Fantastic. So uh, um, thank you very much for talking to us, Taryn. Um, oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Any, any excuse to talk about cars, I mean, with a friend, we yeah. can't get better than that. Plus, been stuck indoors you know kind of i mean like i said it's, it's i've got plenty i mean i've, I've, I've rediscovered vhs <laughs> so i found all my old tapes of programs i used to tape in the 80s and 90s i mean watching them and thinking oh fantastic but it's nice to to kind of have car chats um because i've not been to any shows well no one's been to any shows this year the last mm. one i went to was the um race retro event um up at stoney park and you know i really 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 miss it i desperately miss going to car shows so you know this has been a, a more than adequate sort of um kind of substitute so you know it's been oh. an absolute pleasure talking to you david as oh, thank always. you it's, uh, same same here it's uh basically i'm running a podcast instead of going to shows because i get to talk to people about cars so uh Brilliant. it's basically the same thing except i don't get to look at any but so yes um, one more time i'm just going to say really loud cars on instagram you need to go and check that out also check out uh, really loud.co.uk um you can see a bunch of darren's old pictures and photographs and illustrations because we didn't even talk about those but you do yes. great illustrations in fact you did illustrations for us at one point which is superb um and these little articles and all of that stuff um is a uh, font of knowledge um, and it is definitely worth following and uh, keeping in touch with so thank you very much for that Darren not a problem at all and um, we will be back next time and I believe next time if I'm correct we will have a young man called Rob Richardson who is a, another alumni of uh, Retro Rides and, um, and another interesting chap to chat to and so he's got we'll a Toyota see. as well and he's got a Toyota as well yep. <laughs> Um, we were, in fact we didn't talk enough about your cars oh, we'll do some video on your cars um, anyway people we will um, see you uh, next week thank you very much